Oh, hi. Hi. We're actually recording this after we've recorded the episode because we realised we think we should put a warning. Yeah. Hey, listen, um, as often happens when we get into a little bit of a, um, a zone, turns out that we've been watching kind of allied material that fits together. Turns out that um, both of us have been watching a um, couple of series that involve sexual assault. So just um, if you have some sensitivities in that area, be forewarned. Yeah, we just didn't want to blindside you. So we thought we'd whack this on to the start, but now here's the real start. Uh, what is this pencil case-like thing that you appear to have brought for me? Isn't it lovely that uh, – hello, by the way. Uh, isn't it lovely that I bring you a thoughtful thing and you're immediately just <laughs> a bit accusatory? No, I actually think it looks like a nice pencil case of the kind that I would have possibly bought from Granny May's bookshop when I was a oh, youngster. Oh, I loved Granny May's. What I happened? Granny May's What happened well? to them? I do not know. They were really good for the pencil case you never knew you needed. I guess it's the old <laughs> smiggle. Exactly, and that looks like a Granny May's pencil case. Yeah, okay, so can I have off. a little – I'm going to take a picture of oh, it just sorry. so that we've got a visual okay. of your rudeness uh, – now, it does look a bit like a – are you serious that you don't know what this is? No. Okay, it's baked goods. Some sort of present. But not as we know it. I um, made a loaf of banana bread right. uh, earlier today and I brought a couple of slices for your boys for the morning because right. I know that they like banana bread. And it's it's in one of the wax wrap things. Oh, yeah, my friend Melanie has given me something wrapped in these. I don't have one myself though. What, so what's the deal with them? So good. Well, um, they sort of. I don't know. Oh like, my god, that like, looks delicious. I know it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it's sort of. I've, I've wrapped it in one of the newer ones. Some of my mm-hmm. um, well-used ones are a bit manky, and I probably would only put my kids' school sandwiches <laughs> in it rather than a lovely gift for you. <laughs> but I found it a new, clean one. Look, they're sort of. Um, they're very cool. I'm surprised you don't have any. Um, I'm, of course, all over it. Um, it's like fabric. Uh, what? wrapped in or dipped in beeswax and it's sort of like nature's own cling film basically are they um reusable what do you do wash them how yeah do, just in, in sort of warm soapy water or sort of coolish mm. lukewarm soapy water and it, it it saves you using all the plastic and stuff and um <laughs> so if I need to take just, some crack now, to work or something I can totally. I can put it in my little it's a crack sack it's a crack sack <laughs> <laughs> it's a crack wax <laughs> A crack wax sack. A pack. So, or I could put a snack. A snack crack a snack. and pack wax. <laughs> God, it's all got a little bit, you know, Mardi Gras. Oh, in, that is. is the worst thing wow, is that, like, we as just... we speak, like, if, as this as this unspools to where Gwen Blake will be like, oh, God. putting together the merchandise, the back crack and snack wax. <laughs> Mmm, that'll fly off the shelves for Christmas. <laughs> oh, that's just too grubby. Well, that is, um, well, I think we've reached a new low in the opening. What uh, are we at about? 50, oh, it's, oh, no, two minutes. We've been going for two minutes. Lovely. Okay. It's not Hasn't the first been, opening minute, right? It started with banana bread. And it's the thing that's got... so lovely is that I'm never going to be able to look at that thing ever again without <laughs> thinking of pack crack and snack packs. <laughs> It's such a lovely floral. No, it's a feather pattern. Oh, oh God. Well, anyway, you're always man. trying to wrap me up. But um, get it? Just. You're trying to. You're always trying to wrap me up. Oh God. You are. Well, just, it's well, just my little joke. Just stop it. See, it's like ten past nine. I've still got can it. You're flagging, about, though. God, can we talk about goose eggs or something? This is just <laughs> diabolical. Can we go from lowbrow straight to the highest of the highbrow? That's because what I love doing. I think that I have oh, possibly. Just, I know where you're going. 
one of the biggest clangs. Atwood. Margaret Atwood, yeah. One of the biggest clangs ever. It's not bigger than Paul McCartney in my view, but I think some people would think <clears throat> well, it's bigger what is? than Paul McCartney. Yeah, but, is, yeah. But, um, so I interviewed her about her new book, The Testaments. Now, can I check? Have you actually read The Handmaid's Tale? Yes, I have. And <clears throat> how, how old were you when you read it? Oh, uh, much younger than I now am. Yeah, same. I did it at university and I'm yeah. thinking I probably should give it a re-read. And then did you watch the TV show? I, uh, controversially, I watched the first series and I'm yet to watch the second or the third, so I'm not part of the sort of mob with flames on, you know, sticks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't watch the, um, I didn't, I I did really like season one, but I didn't watch on for some reason, even though I thought season one was great. I don't don't know. It's just, you know. It's hard yakka. It is hard yakka, yeah. Um, So sometimes I just get a bit like, oh. If there's one more sad thing, I might just... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's right. It might be the thing to tip me over the edge. Mind um, you, I don't ever really... I mean, will I do, the crack sack and pack the, wax mop up my tears if I'm watching a sad it TV It will show. not, in fact. It will, your tears will run off it like they, so they do off the back of my hand. They friend. won't double as a hanky. No, there's just oh. like they are anti-hanky. Oh, okay. All right. Good to know. Good to know. They'd probably be a good but splint if you were route. like, you know, lost in a national oh, park or something okay. and you... Had to gnaw your own leg off. I was like, I'm just babbling now. Sorry, it's been a long, long week. Uh, yeah, we should point out it is after 9pm. You've had to pop around. I mean, I I've made a special exception just, just for you. I popped around with my excess recycling in <laughs> an attempt to fly tip it into your um, I feel bin. really bad about that. She showed up and said, I've got a heap of recycling in the back of my car. Can I put it in your recycling bin? But my recycling bin's overflowing because yeah. it's it's in the off week. You know, it's yeah, every second week. Yeah, so I know. And totally... it's still got to go to Malaysia and back. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. We actually had a story on 7.30 about um, – Indonesia and Australian yeah. waste. Yeah, it's it's oh. so God. What it about that AM really story upsetting. a couple of weeks ago about is it AM story? God, um, about Australian plastic waste being burned as fuel to make tofu. Very confusing. Oh, God, for, I eat for your to- average oh, like, tofu. I eat tofu because I, I know it's good. I Do know. you know if I'm like heading towards borderline vegetarian? I know you are. It's you, quite you, weird. you announced to me that you went off meat a little while ago. Yeah, which is, like, I still will awesome. eat it, but if I'm cooking for myself, my preference is to just not eat it. I've gone off yeah. the taste. Anyway, um, now Margaret Atwood. Margaret Atwood. So the testimony. <laughs> right? Margaret Atwood via recycling bins. <laughs> Yeah, this is going to be one of those ones when Kathy edits it that she's like, oh, dear God. God. I don't know. Um, Sorry, Kathy. So I was reading – so obviously The Handmaid's Tale season one ends yeah. at basically the end of the book. Right, yeah. And so then they've had to write, you know, inventing whatever they thought. And Margaret Atwood wasn't writing it. Like someone else has done mm. that. With a, bit of in, with a little bit of input from Margaret Atwood, yeah. a few ideas. Margaret Atwood, meanwhile, has She's hatched like her own a few idea. catastrophically grim <laughs> concepts. To, yeah. You know. So Margaret Atwood's then written her own book. Um, now, I wasn't really sure what to expect when I started reading it because, you know, I, I – so The Handmaid's Tale was the first Margaret Atwood book I read. Right, okay. And it was one of those experiences where, you know, when you start reading an author and you love and you and then you discover, oh, they've already out. been writing for 30 yeah. years. So. Yeah. Um, I went backwards and then followed her forwards as right, well. Okay. So I went right back and I was reading Cat's Eye and Surfacing and The Edible Woman and all those early books. And then I was reading everything that came out, Alice Grace, Blood right. Assassin. Every time yep. they'd come out, I'd be straight down getting yep. it. Then I went off her and all she right. went. When, when did you peter out? Oryx and Crake around oh, that. yeah. I never got to the end of that. Yeah. The sci-fi, when it got a bit more fantasy sort of stuff, I yeah. just went off it. Yep. Um, even though, you know, I still totally respect her technical yep. skill, but it just wasn't my bag. 
So the testaments, I was thinking, oh, God, I don't know. Can I get away with interviewing her without actually reading the book? <laughs> I would never do that. No, I know you wouldn't. You're um, great big school prefect. <laughs> Not like that terrible John Humphreys <laughs> in BBC. I love how you just lost your mind a little bit on the social media about, about that. that. We'll be talking about that later. <laughs> um, so anyway, I started reading it. Absolutely unputdownable. Reads like an airport thriller. Could not stop reading it. Right, okay. Um, it's without – there'll be no spoilers here, so don't worry. If you're listening and you've got your hand over the – Listen with confidence. Over the stop button, listen with confidence. Um, it's basically – there's three characters. It's a triple narrative. It's Aunt Lydia, who's the woman who's basically the chief oh, female right. power yeah, broker. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's her – it's the story of how she came to be the chief female power broker and what she was doing before Gilead became oh, Gilead. Okay, all right. And then there's two others, Witness 369A and Witness 369B. 369A is a woman, a young girl, who is in Gilead and okay. is about to be married off to a commander. Right. 369B is a young woman in Canada mm. um, who, without spoiling, uh, has some ties to Gilead. Okay. So um, it switches between every person's narrative and then over the course of the book brings the three together. Right. All of them are riveting, and because it's it's, you know, I don't, I don't know if you remember, but The Handmaid's Tale ends with a symposium looking yep. back on yes. Gilead and yep. Gilead, the Republic of Gilead's already fallen. Yeah, so you know, starting from the Testaments, that it's already, you know, it, it's not going to exist yep. at some point. Yep. And so the three separate narratives are presented like documents, like so that's why it's right. the Testaments. It's uh, three separate okay. Testaments. All right, um, but oh bloody hell, it's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. Okay, well, look, that's what I'm taking on the plane then. Am I? Am I taking on the plane? Um, yes, I have recommended to someone else as a plane. What did I recommend to someone else as a plane book? Oh, yeah, um, Fleischman, which we'll talk about later. Right. Um, which I've read since the last podcast when you recommended it. But then, so then I read the book and then I had to interview Margaret Atwood, <sighs> which was very scary because she's so smart and I'm such a fan. And in fact, I was talking to Richard Glover about it because I had to do something right. on Sydney radio. If you don't live in Sydney, he's a Sydney radio announcer. And we were talking about the pressure when you're interviewing an author that you're a big fan of, that you feel to demonstrate that you really have read their work, that you really right. are a fan. And so, <laughs> But that can tip over to like, that can oh, actually tip terrible. over the edge where you're just like, and remember that obscure like, oh. collection of short stories that you published when you were 19 and like, Every 100%. viewer in the world is just like, wow, this is so boring. 100%. Yeah. So, of course, because I fell into that trap, as everyone of does. Course. So I started with, <laughs> Margaret Atwood, in your early work negotiating with the dead, you note on page 32. <laughs> so I did you exactly did not. that. I did. You did not. I did. I referred to an earlier um, work. God. And did um, she just roll her eyes? Because, I mean, she would get a lot of that action. I oh, I'm sure she would. She would get a lot of, like, blowing the dust off your, you know, sort of. She was very, very poor. Year old <laughs> she was very, very polite. Richard Glover said that he interviewed Martin Amos and did something similar. In Chapter 5 of London Field. Oh, God, I would do the same thing even though like – But I made yeah. I made Margaret laugh in the goodbye, which made me wish that I had made what I said in the goodbye, the opening. Um, I love that you like you got a laugh from Margaret Atwood but then immediately you were already hating yourself for using it in the wrong place. I yeah. mean like take the win, Sales. Take the win. What did you say? I said um, – Again, referring to one of her earlier works, you know, you once said that wanting to meet an author because you like their writing is like wanting to meet a duck because you like eating pate. <laughs> that is completely true, but nonetheless, is it pate geese. No, pate's duck, is it? Yep. But I'm sure you can probably have goose pate as well. Couldn't you have pate made is, of anything as long as you filled is it up? Pate with mainly geese. 
I mean, I've found my way back stuck. to the goose theme again. <laughs> <laughs> this time, a I different part of the stuck. goose body. But isn't pate basically just that you feed something in such a way that its liver becomes distended and then you make pate yeah. out of it? So but you probably do it with any animal. Like, have to get liberated in. Oh, geez, I've got no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> Vegetarian, like veggie splains pate <laughs> to woman who still periodically eats meat. <laughs> make make some merch out of that, Gwen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I reckon every podcast we just need to come up with stupider nail clippers. Yeah. Make it happen, Gwenny. Let's see it, Gwenny. <laughs> Um, Sorry. No, so I said uh, wanting to meet an author is like wanting to meet a duck because you like pate. That's completely true. But nonetheless, as a long-time consumer of the pate, it's been so thrilling to get to speak to the duck. Oh, that's pretty adorable. <laughs> she laughed, yeah. yeah. I was I was happy that I made her laugh. So, yeah, it was great. But, I mean, oh, that's good. bloody hell, run yeah, day you, walk you together. Walk. That. And it would be a great plane read, absolutely. All right. But you might – I do you know what I did? I quickly checked the Wikipedia for The Handmaid's Tale just to remind myself of the plot. Oh, okay. Because right. it's it is yep. it, you can read it without having read The Handmaid's Tale, but I think it is sort of handy just to remind yep. yourself a little sure. bit of it. So okay. yeah, I recommend Thank you. that. All right. Yeah. What have you been reading? <laughs> Who have you actually, been interviewing? I, <laughs> bugger off. Um, I I've read heaps recently. Actually, I don't really know quite how. I think um, I was travelling around a little bit, and I just seem to have motored through a few books. Um, and the one that I've just finished is. This spectacular um, crime novel, and now you know I'm not really, I am not a fan yeah, of the crime novel. I just really don't go there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this one, maybe it's because it's a French one, and thereby it's you know slightly more pretentious. I don't know, but um, this novel is called The Godmother, and it's like a massive, massive bestseller in France, mm. and it's now been translated by a Sydney-based translator um, called Stephanie Smee, who I know, mm. um, and it is the most fabulous book. Wow! So um, the central character is called Patience Portefeuille. Mm-hmm. The widow Potiphar, right? And she is a cracking and completely um, bizarre character. She is a widow. Her husband died in front of her very young. She's quite wealthy, but then was impoverished when the husband died. She had two children and a completely crazy mum and a very unusual upbringing. And she, um, she, she records that when her husband died, her only assets really were a PhD in Arabic mm. and she lives in Paris and she was penniless so she started working as a translator and she starts working as a translator for the cops because they are constantly um, undertaking surveillance of these crime gangs and you know terrorists and you know whatever and she speaks Arabic and she does all the translations anyway um, and she's at the same time she's got this massive drama going on with her um, mum who's going just opulently mad in a, f- a French nursing home which is super expensive anyway she starts translating um, and it's full of sort of social commentary about um, about France and Paris and certainly and the experience of um, Middle Eastern people in Paris. So it's quite fascinating to read and very, very funny. Like the writing is 
can't really explain it. It's sort of spiky, original, and laugh out loud funny. Wow. It's just, yeah. In a crime novel. It's an incredibly, I really love this book. I'm right? actually just going to write this down. Yeah, the Godmother. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, I mean, right. the writing is spectacular. And I don't know. I mean, it must be hard to be a translator and yeah. to preserve that quirkiness. Or and has she improved it? I don't know. Is the talent I'd love the translator. to know that. I wish that I was um, bilingual so that I could answer that question. I don't know. But, I mean, it was a super bestseller in France, so obviously it's people have loved right. this Right, they book. liked it in French too. But yeah. it's sort of like it's got elements of – I mean, it's, this sounds incredibly stupid to say, but – in the plot, it, there's sort of elements, almost like Roald Dahl elements, you know, she's such a kind of um, fabulous character. Um, but the writing is just um, – spiky is the word I keep using. It's just um, – it's really – it's like a very original hat, you know. <laughs> like when you look at it and you think, that is great. Like oh, a, yeah. that sounds awesome. Um, and so on every page I'm just like, oh, this is brilliant. Anyway, and the story itself is quite um, – it's such a great idea for a um, for a yarn, you know. She is listening in to this family of um, drug smugglers and she kind of gets involved. She starts to kind of quite like the family. It's a family business. And then by accident she meets one of the family members and then she's kind of drawn in to the situation. And think about it, she's the translator, so she is the only interface that the cops have with right. these Arabic-speaking um, criminals, right? So the entire police case or, in fact, the police awareness of what's going on has one fulcrum, which is her. And she talks – she says, well, look, I'm trusted because I'm a white French woman and I am um, translating, um, providing this sort of – um, interpretation service. So, anyway, I won't say anything more about oh what my happened. Oh, that sounds but it's, really, really good. It's it's superb. I should okay. have brought it over for you actually because I've finished it. Oh, you anyway, got a hard copy. Um, and I just yeah. absolutely raced through it. Okay, good. All right, because yeah. I, I love um, sort the of Godmother. Although I've got work to be doing at the moment yeah. in my spare time, so actually that's the last thing I need. I know. So don't let me have it. I reckon, like I read it in maybe a day and a half like it, and you know I just and it was one of those things where I'm like oh, I might just sneak away I might need <laughs> do I need another wee I think I do oh like, I love I, books I, like I, that oh, just such a pleasure and then like oh, I might go to bed it's only like do nine. you know what gave me that feeling I was going to talk about it later because I'm, I'm torn about what to talk about now because I could talk about crime because I've been watching a tv show called Unbelievable which oh, I know you I know and I want to hear about that but the yeah. but the book that I just read that I could not put down was that you told me to read, Fleischman is in oh, trouble. Yeah. Let's say Fleischman. Let's just let's because I really want to get into that. Properly. <laughs> okay. All so right. let's. Uh, can I talk about Unbelievable? Yeah. So Unbelievable. It's on Netflix. Everyone's been buzzing about Everybody's it. Everybody's going crazy on the Chat Ten group about oh, it, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of. Oh, I didn't see oh my that. God. I've yeah. seen it elsewhere. So it's got Tony Collette in it. It's got a woman whose yeah. name I don't know, but she I was don't in remember Nurse her name Jackie. either. But she's great. She, yeah, she is really good. Um, it's um, a serial rapist. Is the it's a crime thing? Yeah. So cheering. Yeah. So what do you what do you where are you up to and what are you thinking? I'm um, I have just finished episode four. Okay, I've just finished episode three. Okay, okay. What are you thinking? Well, I look. I found it tough to watch at first because mm. um, the first episode is like there's flashbacks. It's kind of 
it's full on, yeah. you know. Um, and I was sort of watching it by myself and I just sort of thought, oh. And I'm really wary of those shows like, you know, SVU. You know, like there's this kind of, you know, almost like rape porn kind of yeah. thing that goes on. I don't know, do they still make those kind of, you know, that that whole brand of crime shows that are all about the special violence unit. I just thought, always thought that that was a terrible Oh, is that what SVU stands yeah, for? Yeah, special, oh, special I violence. That. I never watched SVU. Or maybe okay. it's sexual violence. I don't know. Oh, but basically it's a whole okay. spin-off that's all about oh. chicks getting raped, or mainly chicks. And I just think, oh, I Yeah, don't know. episode one and, was a bit – I found episode one a bit icky too and it was sort of for a similar reason which was – and I'm not saying anything because the title gives it away, unbelievable. The first of the cases, they sort of set it up right from the start, like is she telling the truth about being raped by a stranger? It's this young woman who's been um, in foster care and she's in this um, kind of uh, facility where young people live together with some counsellors and yeah. someone breaks into her room. Um, but Or do they, or do right? They, so they set yeah. it up like, can you not believe it? Ugh, look, I know it's all – it's just TV, whatever, but I just felt a bit like it's not very common that somebody completely concocts that they've been raped yeah. and I just sort of felt yeah. a bit like, oh, really, do we have to make a whole drama around like yeah. a concocted rape? Like yeah. so – and, and, and somebody, you know, who's may, maybe an hysteric making up something. Yeah. So – I just sort of felt like, mm, but actually, it's not about that. It's That's not, a red yeah, herring. It is, so. and so, um, so I, yeah, I watched the first one. I thought, oh yeah, okay, where's this going? Because like towards the end of the first episode, then these sort of doubts started to emerge. The thing that I thought also was valuable about it was just, um, oh, just the um, wearing detail of. The examination of a rape victim, yes. right? Like so, it's um, it's the questioning over mm. and over again. Each new cop that turns up, so tell me what happened from the beginning. And she's like, "Well, I already told the other guy," and they're like, "No, no, no, I'm the detective, so you need to tell me everything." And so there's this kind of terrible rhythm that establishes itself where this mm. woman is just, you know, and then they're like, "Well, now you're going to the hospital where every square inch of your body is going to be swabbed and sprayed and stained." And, Which is you know, what happened. Like, yeah, that, that you do have to keep telling the same thing yeah. over and over again. And so, and then, then they're a bit like, "Well, hang on a minute, your version three. There's a bit of a detail that's you know different." And so you get this idea, and um, that you know of, of this sort of terrible um, uh, treadmill of horror that you step onto when something like this has happened to you, uh, you know, completely as a horrible surprise. And um, and the other thing that I thought was really interesting from this first episode is just um, how uh, kind of how brittle she is and – as soon as she's sort of being challenged by these cops and like, well, hang on a minute, are you telling the truth? She falls back on this protective mechanism that she's developed through years of this really difficult childhood and constantly having to answer questions to authority figures and moving from house to house and whatever. And she's just like, do you know what? Like Here's sometimes what hear. sometimes you just got to say what they want to hear. Yeah. And so that's what she does. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it was a a thoroughly interesting, difficult, absorbing and ultimately valuable 
mm. hour of television. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, it's also it's a little bit like a sort of onion peeling type yeah, thing because uh-huh. you don't even clap eyes on Tony Collette until the end of episode two. Yeah, right. Uh, and then her character starts to get fleshed out a bit in episode yeah. three, which is what I've just watched. Right, and um, by which stage it's kind of like a buddy, like not a buddy movie. It's like it's like a partners. Yeah, it's it a is. Difficult yeah, partners two kind female of. police officers sort of running it. I mean, it's sort of I don't know if it's going to shift from here, but now it has after the sort of quite unique episode one, it has slipped more into a straight police procedural. Mm. But I'm quite liking it. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm like, really liking it. In oh, fact, you're really liking I'm, it. Okay. I'm, I'm toying with the idea of like going home and watching another episode, although I'm realistically not going to. But like, I definitely. Right. Do um, want see? I'm to still wavering. It. Like, will I watch on? Will I not watch on? Oh, you're so merciless, though. <laughs> I've got like a Protestant series completion ethic, but you're just like, nah, bin it. Yeah, I feel like I've got just way too much to. Yeah, watch fair enough. To get um, I'm really liking the other cop, though. Like, I love Tony Collette. Uh, absolutely, am really enjoying her um, mm, as yeah, I always do. Um, but the other cop, whose name tragically neither of us can remember, which is terrible because she's a great actor. Um, she is uh, quite an intriguing character. She's great. She was, if you watched Nurse Jackie, anybody, um, she was the I? sort of, oh, God, it's fantastic. Okay. Um, she was the sort of daffy nurse, the slightly oh, okay. chubby daffy nurse. Um, and I didn't really like her character in that because I found her a bit too daffy. Dotty, whatever right. the word is. Um, you don't but love she's the daff, excellent. Do you? Nah, don't like don't daff. the daff. Don't love the daff. I don't the mind daff. the daff. Don't love the daff. <laughs> <laughs> but she is. For really a woman good. who's given to like bouts of resplendent idiocy yourself, that's quite <laughs> cheeky. But anyway. Yeah, but I'm not. My idiocy is not daffy, though. It's just straight insanity, isn't it? It's just. Uh, it's very off beam. <laughs> but it's not daffy. You reckon? I don't know. No, it's more just sort actually, of. I'm gonna look up the definition of concerted daffy, actually. madness. You tell me know. about something else while I look up the definition of daffy. Well, look, it seems like oh god, we're gonna have to put a bloody warning on the front of this episode because um, I have been listening to something that ties in so closely with this that it's even got practically the same name. Um, I've been listening to the podcast, which is an NPR podcast. I think it's a few years old, actually. God, no one tells me anything. Um, called Believed, which is about... Oh, God, as opposed to Unbelievable. I know, That's right? So I mean, that is totally accidental, by the way, and it's only just occurred to me that, that, is the, <laughs> that there's that direct tie-in. Daffy means silly or mildly eccentric. Well, you're sort of hardcore eccentric, I think. There's <laughs> no mild about it. Really? Well, you I reckon I'm not eccentric at all. fake moustache and suspenders to an entire <laughs> Edmore Theatre gig, so it's I don't mainstream. know. What would you say? And dotty means eccentric or slightly mad. Mm. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Keep ga- – carry on. NPR podcast. Right. Yeah. Yes. So um, this is a uh, a podcast that is about the guy who used to be the – kind of the lead doctor to the US gymnastics team, a guy called Larry Nasser. And he uh, turns out to be one of the most kind of prolific – sex offenders in American history. Like he abused, God knows, hundreds of uh, girls who he was attending to um, uh, medically uh, on a series of uh, uh, gymnastics teams. Anyway, look, I'm not going to go all the way into it. It's just I found it 
I'm just really interested in this quality of shamelessness, you know, like mm. that is um, – I mean, you see it all around you. I'm not saying everybody's a sex offender who's shameless, but like people who can uh, just do incredibly bad things and then um, – and then just tough it, tough it out. Yeah. Because the, the incredible thing and the most horrific traumatic thing for the parents of these girls was that he abused them, like in some cases in front of their parents. Like he'd be sort of doing a therapeutic massage and he'd be kind of uh, interposing his body between the parent in the room and the girl on the massage table and he'd be and like they were so little they didn't know what was happening or you know so he's like well this is therapeutic you know I need to do this yeah anyway so and he was so beloved by all of these people that he was defended even in some cases by grown women who had been abused by him for more than a decade and who only really twigged that what he'd been doing was abuse. Like, oh, God, it's wow. really just, yeah. Anyway, it's an amazing, it's a really interesting podcast for its attention to this phenomenon, which is, wow, you know, that someone in such a position of power over children could keep trying this and take such incredible risks and be so brutal and still kind of try and get away with it, even when he was busted. So is that the sort mm. of – is the theme of it how do people get away with it in plain sight? Is it, that the it, – It looked at um, – it, it looked at, you know, the chronology of, of what happened to the girls. Like it kind of follows a couple of um, young women who kind of called um, him out early, including one extraordinary young woman whose f- parents were friends – of his, um, and uh, who was abused by him um, outside the whole gymnastics circuit, but like told her parents about it, and her parents didn't believe her, mm. and then made her made her admit to lying. It, they just mm. hammered her for like months and months, and she eventually recanted, and they made her apologise to him, and then made her like babysit his kids. Like it was just the most anyway. Look, um, I feel like we're going into a real um, yeah, 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 and we will let's let's record a warning. We'll stick it on the top. Of yeah, the podcast, absolutely. So. Um, so, but it, it's I don't know how I've accidentally ended up kind of um, consuming both of these pieces of. Um, it's weird how the universe does that, like where it throws things together. Like the other week, remember we did that podcast, and then all of a sudden you've gone. We're talking all about space. You've been listening to space all the time. I've been watching space. I know. But what about that that Winston Churchill one we had a while ago where like everything was to do with Winston Churchill? Why does that happen and how does it happen? Are you feeling like you don't have enough landing in your inbox? I was trying to work out where you were going with that. I love your TV voice, though. Hi. <laughs> you wouldn't care if another thing landed in your inbox because you've already no. got 15,000 unanswered messages. I do. I've got a lavish amount of unopened mail in my inbox. And uh, here's the point at which I just panickedly apologise to anyone who's emailed me and I've never replied because, <laughs> seriously, you may as well just get a skywriter, to be honest. But look, if you're somebody like me... I like keep expectations low. But however... If you, you're somebody sales. like me who likes to clear your inbox Zero and you'd inbox. like some interesting content to read, you could sign up for the Chat 10 Looks 3 newsletter. 
It is unbelievably brilliant, and I can say that because it's not written by us. It's written by our friend Miranda Murphy, who just absolutely kills it. Anyone who finds a grammatical error in that thing or a spelling thousand dollars, we'll send you a packet of uh, a package of Chat Ten merchandise. Yeah, okay. If you find a grammatical or Or a spelling error, (laughs) no pressure, Murph. If you find an error in there, because this is how much we think Miranda Murphy is an absolute gun. Yeah. You just won't. But if you do, let us know. We'll check it. We'll send you a package. There's no stray apostrophe in her work and it's (laughs) extremely funny. She has a very odd brain. And I actually always read the newsletter. I do too. And also I think she is much funnier than both of us. Why is one of us not doing the podcast with her? Look, I've been um, looking for an opportunity to to raise that, uh, Lee, now that you've... I mean, it's just that the conversations with Miranda are just funnier than the ones I have with you. Anyway, if you'd like to sign up for the Chat 10 Looks 3 newsletter, you go to our website, chat10looks3.com. Just sort of spool down a little bit or whatever the word is. Spool? Scroll. Scroll. Jesus. Um, also, Miranda lets me go on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> this is the longest promo ever. Uh, <laughs> Kathy only wanted like 30 seconds and now we've taken up, what, 55? Oh, God. It's a podcast. So, uh, Fleischman is in trouble. You recommended to me. Let's talk about Fleischman. Oh my god! Right. So this is kind of like the hot lot novel right now. It is the because, hot novel um, right now. Uh, our friend Annie re- recommended it to me, and as it happened, when I was on the phone to her, uh, I just bought it online straight right. away and got cracking into it because I was sort of at that point where I'm like, oh, that sounds like something I might read. Isn't it funny, like, what is it with a book? Because you recommended it to me and I downloaded it immediately onto yeah. my Kindle yeah. and then I've recommended it to multiple people who've immediately gone to bookshops and bought it yeah. or texted me from the bookshop to go, what was the name of that All book? Right. So my friend yeah. Rachel, um, I was texting with her about something else and um, I said, oh, have you read Fleischman's in Trouble? And uh, she said no. Uh, she was in Adelaide in a taxi and uh, I kind of gave her the like, little pen pick of it and she said, diverting the taxi to uh, the bookshop that's on this road right now. I'm just going to go buy it right now. That's amazing, isn't it? Like something that's something so sticky yeah. that firstly that someone just mentions a brief synopsis to you and you go, I've got to read that straight away. Right. But that also that once you've read it, that you then do that to other people yeah. immediately. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's clearly why and that's what the kind of book we need to write. So how do – We can retire from doing this All right, podcast. can we just get onto that right now? Um, so how did I sell it to you? I said it's like a – it's a marriage novel. You said – Well, you said it was Philip Rothian and you know I like Philip Roth. Oh, I know. So it's like a Philip Roth novel written by a woman. Yeah. You said – it breaks the convention. It's it's unconventional. It's a man's take on a relationship breakdown, but written by a woman. There's a twist that you sort of don't see coming, and you you said it was sort of unique. How does she get into the male voice? Blah blah blah, and that there's a friend who appears and sort of weird, and the friend appears more and blah blah yeah. blah. Um, so oh, I just I just don't even know where to start with it. Um, can I read – I might just read aloud a bit that I bookmarked to read just to give people a sense of, in my view, how observant the yeah. writing is. Yeah. You won't relate to every single thing in the book if you've ever had a relationship, but you it, there's got to be something in it that everyone oh, would relate to, right? yeah. Um, when Rachel and I were little girls, we'd been promised by a liberated society that had almost ratified the Equal Rights Amendment that we could do anything we wanted. We were told that we could be successful, that there was something particular and unique about us and that we could achieve anything. The last vestiges of girls being taught they were special mingled with the first ripples of second wave feminism. 
All that time, even as a sixth grader, I remembered thinking that it seemed weird that teachers and parents were just allowed to say that and that they'd say it in front of the boys and the boys didn't seem to mind. Even back then, I knew the boys tolerated it because it was so clear that it wasn't true. (laughs) It was like those T-shirts all my daughter's friends were wearing to school now, the ones that said, the future is female in big block letters. How they march around in broad daylight in shirts like that. But the only reason it's tolerated is that everyone knows it's just a lie we tell to girls to make their marginalisation bearable. They know that eventually the girls will be punished for their futures, so they let them wear their dumb message shirts now. Rachel and I, we'd been raised to do what we wanted to do, and we had. We'd been successful, and we'd shown everyone. We didn't need to wear apocryphal T-shirts because we already knew the secret, which was this, that when you did succeed, when you did out-earn and outpace, when you did exceed all expectations, nothing around you really shifted. You still had to tiptoe around the fragility of a man, which was okay for the women who got to shop and drink martinis all day. That was their compensation. They'd done their own negotiations, but was absolutely intolerable for anyone who was out there working and getting respect and becoming the person that others had to tiptoe around. That these men could be so delicate that they could lack any inkling of self-examination when it came time to try to figure out why their women didn't seem to be batshit enthusiastic (laughs) over another night of bolts and patting and filleting every insecurity out of them, this was the thing we'd find intolerable. (laughs) Holy shit. I mean, and it is full of pages like that, whether it's the way doctors act, whether it's, I mean, it was like I was just stopped in my tracks a million times. Yeah, and I think somehow the power of of where the novel lands is absolutely stored up uh, over the course of – it's like this sort of kinetic energy that's kind of stored up over how long it takes you to hear from the woman because um, a huge chunk uh, of the the first bit of the novel is you – see the relationship through the husband's eyes and like he's kind of a sympathetic character in lots of ways and also kind of annoying in other ways like he's like you know like a a human being like a human (laughs) for instance you know and then but um the wife is an absence you know like she's and she's remarkable for her absence and so you project your own assumptions over to like what where is she why is she not here she she's committed the cardinal sin of disappearing and like abandoning her kids yeah, right. actually we should tell people like yeah. the opening premise, right, is that I think you said this in the last episode, the husband is caring for the two kids. There's, he's separated from the wife. Yep. She's meant to come and show up on Monday morning and pick them up. She just doesn't show up. She's dropped them early at his place on Friday morning while he's asleep. He wakes up he lets there. Him, he let, she lets herself into the apartment, leaves the kids, and then she buggers off. And that's the last you see of her. For- and she, he, he, she won't return phone calls. She doesn't respond to texts. She just vanished. Like he starts getting worried, like something happened to her, but she, he rings her secretary. No, no, nothing's happened to her. But And so do you know the book that I kept thinking of? all the time mm-hmm. it's totally different but it did remind me of it what was the name of that book where the girls in the family where the father's the the born again christian and he believes the mother's going to be healed you know that oh book? the healing party the healing yeah party. michelle lee i think it, it reminded micheline lee maybe your name is i can't remember anyway um the it reminded me of that yeah. because of that relentless drive forwards yeah that you know like 
we're heading towards, in that book it was, we're heading to the healing party. (laughs) What the hell is going to happen at this healing party? And this is like we have to be heading towards finding out what's happened with the mother, like surely. Surely, yeah. And so you cannot stop reading because you want to know what has happened And yet it just persists and like it just goes on and on. You're thinking, like what on earth could possibly be the explanation? And so by the time, it's sort of like such a fascinating psychological device because by the time – you find anybody who's seen her. Yeah. You're kind of like, you're kind of in the car with Toby, the husband, like, where the hell have you been? Yes. Like, we've yeah. all been so worried. Totally. But and the, the kids there. too are just kind of like, what? You know. I was reading it. It was one of those ones where like I'd be talking to somebody like this thing and I'd be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, when's this person going to leave so I can get back to that book because I just could not <laughs> wait to find out. And the bit where the friend, there's a friend of Toby's who he's yeah. known for years and years who sees Rachel, the wife, yeah. Um the bit where I think it was like 10 past 10 p.m. and I've got to the bit and that's when I looked up and saw her sitting in the <gasps> I know, cafe. And then you're just like, I'm still right. Re- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, geez, I'm going to be away for two more hours. Of course, yeah. <laughs> just could not stop reading it. Um, it is really, really brilliant. Yeah. I loved it. And the, the, that structural device of getting you so angry and anxious and kind of you know, you're set up to really think this woman's an absolute piece of shit, you know. Oh, yeah. And then, and then you kind of hear from her, which makes, I don't know. Makes... But you felt, I didn't I didn't entirely lose sympathy for the bloke either. No. no so it, it just was, yeah. like, just made you feel, I mean, one of the bits that really stuck with me was talking about how, um, oh, I wish I had it here to just read out to you, in a, any marriage, um you project a ton of stuff onto the other person that has absolutely nothing to do with them. Oh, of course, yeah. You're just walking around and you're in a bad mood and they're there and that gets projected onto them. You look yeah. out the window and you're happy and it's they're there. Like yeah. it's it describes it as like there's no other institution that permeates every aspect of your life in the way that a marriage does. And, and so how can, could any other person possibly survive that? Right, yeah. And that is allows you to make judgments that are so massively out of context because they're yeah. in your own context and you know, I mean Look, it was it's... it was riveting. I'm really interested to hear a man's point of view on this. In fact, I recommended it to my friend Paul and I'm dying okay. to hear his right. take on it because I I'm not persuaded that the man's voice was as authentic as say like a Philip Roth man's voice. Right, okay. I think maybe it was a bit exaggerated, but I'm just be really curious to hear from a man reading it if they felt like that it seemed like an authentic okay. man's voice. All right. Um, All I right. can't really put my finger on why I felt like that. Maybe just because you'd talked so much about a woman writing yeah. a man's voice. Maybe if I hadn't thought about it, I wouldn't be thinking. I wouldn't be so focused on that. But I just, I'd just be really curious to hear a man's I mean, there, take on this. There book. are traces of, you know, I mean, there's kind of traces of like a woman zipping herself into a man suit. Like he's just like because he's constantly oh, that's just right. going and shagging all these women, and he's getting all these nudes sent to he him. He just on, can't get off his you know, Tinder it, all the I time. Know. Like it just, yeah, that's why I want. There's a certain like, amount of sort of cartoonish. Um, exactly, because I mean, he is a dude in his late forties with two youngish children. Like, really, has he got that much energy to be having sex every? Three times a day. Well, he's only ever really like had one relationship as well, so he's kind of like, oh, wow. He's enjoying Turns the out you can like have shallow, meaningless sex with you yeah. know, nymphomaniacs that live around the corner. Right? Yeah, awesome. it, like it's oh, bloody hell. I could anyway. talk about it all night. Well, I'm, I'm. I'm oh god, I'm, what, look, I'm enjoying what, this conversation happened? so much, and because it's not a work, because it's after work, I don't have to be in a hurry. <sighs> so look at me. I'm at forty minutes, and I just want to keep talking. Wow, I don't have just to, anywhere to under be. another button, love. <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, there's two other things I want to talk about before we oh, get God, off look this. Look at you at 40 minutes and I still know. bolting along. I know. Um, so you then referred me to an article written by the author of this, Taffy, oh, yeah. Taffy Bredessa Actor. <laughs> I don't want to go too deep into it because oh, I don't want to make man. a fight. But you loved it and then you sent it to me <laughs> and I hated it. It's so funny. It's basically about her take on life and that she's very, very disorganised and – but she's still – the gist of it is I'm disorganised but I get a lot of shit done and so therefore that disorganisation doesn't matter because right. I still get a lot done. Right. Now, I read it. So she's – so her whole thing, it's a bit of a kind of um, – strike back against the sort of wellness yoga industry. She's like, yeah. I tried to be mindful and I'm just not that person. And actually I am at my most creative when I am overworked, when I'm stressed, when I'm kind of not checking my chakra, etc. And so I definitely related to this sort of like joyous liberation from the prescription that we all be kind of, you know, calm and together and, you know, mm. somehow – you know, yeah, definitely. So I liked that, and I and I and there's a certain um, oh, there's a certain flourish to the way that she writes about that that made me smile a bit and kind of um, relate to her. But you were annoyed about an, a different thing, I think. Yeah, well, do you know? So I read it once, and it annoyed me so much. I went away. <laughs> I'm like. I read this. Awesome. And you're like, I can't even speak right now. I'm so angry. Well, <laughs> because like, you'd said you related to it and I finished it and I thought, that's nothing like Crab. Like, why does she relate to that? Like, and so then I felt like, you're not like that because she'd annoyed me so much. I was thinking, but you're not like that. So then I left it a few days and then I went back to it and I went back to it thinking, I need to look for the things in this that so I you've probably. have already been more structured about this. I read it once really fast and went, brilliant, all right, loved it, moved on. And you're like, I'm so angry. I'm going to make a time in my diary to go back and reread it and make some notes. Like seriously, not a word of a lie. I While we've been talking notebook. about this, she's flopped out her notebook and paged back to the series of like angry underlined notes that she's made about this. Like she's been waiting for the opportunity to raise this with me. I'm like on the third reading, however, a new consciousness dawned. I'm like, what? What's the chief's name again? I can't remember. <laughs> there we go. Here we, here we have it. No, I thought I'm going to read it again and I'm going to pay attention to the things that I skimmed over the first time instead of fixating on the things that annoyed me. Mm. Go and look at the other stuff because I thought guaranteed the stuff that you will have liked about it is the stuff I've skimmed over and not even paid attention to mm. and all I've focused on is the things that have annoyed me. Mm. And now that you, <laughs> you should your see your childhood. Face, <laughs> but Was now, that, now that you've dancing? said what you liked about it, that is exactly what I did. I skimmed yeah. over um, the stuff which sort of didn't hit any particular buttons with me yeah. to the stuff that did push buttons for me. So exactly as you say, it's a bit of a bit of a rant against – it's in a thing called The Cut. It's a bit of a rant against, um, oh, you know, just like, free your mind of all clutter and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Because, well, actually, like my mind's got a lot of clutter in it and sometimes some good ideas come in yeah. so you don't want to yeah. necessarily do that. Yeah. But the things that caught me up were – this, for example, that I've written oh God. in my notebook. You could not possibly be funnier. She's talking about um, how 
she just gets distracted by her ideas and her creativity and how that should be okay. And so she gives this long list of stuff that she hasn't done. Um, she says this was the example that really just – It's the hockey match, isn't it? It's the soccer practice. Soccer practice. <laughs> I entered soccer practices incorrect. Like this is at the end of a long list of stuff that she does, including that who doesn't show up um, at a correct movie theatre that her husband has told her about several times and has been noted in her calendar – I entered soccer practices incorrectly into my calendar and I did this with games as well. So I'm trying to read my shorthand and would have shorthand, to. Shorthand, guys. <laughs> She's made shorthand notes. Sorry. Resume. And did this with games as well. And I would have to weather the iciness of a car ride in which a shin guarded eight-year-old who was promised he could play goalie had been driven an hour in the wrong direction only to find the game was four towns away three hours ago. I had to weather the iciness. Wow. The notebook's been slapped down on the table. Everybody else around you who has to weather your daffiness. Like the fact that that poor kid who thinks he's going to be goalie, that his mother didn't care enough to put it correctly in the book. What about all the other kids on the team that the goalie didn't show up because the mother didn't care enough to actually pay attention to it. So I think that person is, as I've written in big letters here, an art monster. Oh, art monster. She's an art monster. Right, okay. She's an art monster. Everybody else has to pay the price around her so she can indulge whatever ideas she has and whatever disorganisation she wants to indulge in. Everyone else has to pay the price for that so she can be an art monster. She's an art monster. Here's what I predict. But I did in like your the art that future. she produced. I know you love it. You've, you're a, you're just you're on the hook. You love the art. I did love the art. Uh, my prediction is this, and this will be the most fantastic denouement to your rage <laughs> and also your compulsion. When I take my kid to the wrong negatory, game. <laughs> negatory. Yeah. What's going to happen? Yeah. Is that she'll come to Australia and you'll interview her. Oh. But you'll be all made up and sitting in this studio with lighting and everything and she'll be two hours late. And by the time she shows up, you'll be so enraged that you'll be unable to say a single word. (laughs) And so the interview, (laughs) when it goes to air, will be just you fuming and her saying, why, what's the problem? (laughs) Chillax, etc. And I... We'll watch the shit out of that. (laughs) 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 I love how you just slammed the notebook down. Oh, that made me so mad when I read that. I... And it was almost like that. Who was that dickhead you raised before? The BBC guy? Oh, John Humphreys, yeah. It was like reading wow. that thing He's adorable today. though. He's so twinkly. But you're annoyed with him too. I am John annoyed Humphreys, with him also too. Also in the bad books. <laughs> well, just he had written somebody. Because he wrote something about how he never prepares, right? And how I just, I just ignore the briefs that my producers write for me and I just wing it. And it was like said as if it was a point of pride. Like, mate, that shouldn't be a point of pride. That should be a point of embarrassment that you actually don't care enough to respect the work that your colleagues do and to respect the audience and the viewers enough to actually put the most minor modicum of effort into what you're doing. I just, it really, look, (laughs) I know that this is maybe about me. (laughs) (laughs) I I just... (laughs) I have no idea uh, how you arrived at that conclusion. <laughs> Got to check your police work. Let there, me ask Al. you because you're obviously yeah. not as um, 
I don't think you're Taffy um, Brodess Arachna. No, I don't know. I don't think I am. You're not. I definitely would not be that hopeless with the soccer practice, I think. Love, I just sat at a thing at Wagga, Wagga with you where one of your kids was sick and you did not get off the phone the entire time for paying attention to the sick child. Like you're definitely not somebody that's like forgetful of what other people's needs are around mm. you. Um, I, I always take if people are like – um, behaving like that, that they don't care. Yeah, right. But then I have friends who are more disorganised who say it's not that. It's just it's that it didn't come to mind or whatever. But I, I always take it as a sign of not caring. Mm. But is it? But is it that? Um, I mean, it could just be genuine incompetence, I suppose. Or I mean, you do have a particularly rigorous style of mental organisation. I mean, like you are like militaristic but is it mental organization to follow through on something that you've said that you'll do um now i feel nervous but um (laughs) maybe i don't do that (laughs) maybe suddenly this is about me no uh um no but people have different skill sets i think um i don't know i've got friends who are more hopeless than me not many like one or two. What, but what do you mean, like hopeless in what? Oh, well, you know, I mean, I've got a bulging inbox of messages that I oh, wake in fright about, like, not having them replied to. But you are, like, you never don't reply to an email. You're, you're just like, you're back, you're straight back. You're kind of like dealt with, filed, <laughs> sorted. But I presume, I mean, God, I probably, I maybe don't want to open this rabbit hole because I might be about to learn something that's going to really just rattle me. When I see all your like twelve, th- can you just yep. tell me right now how many is uh, it in my email or in my in your um, emails? Okay, actually, tell me your emails and your texts. I'm curious. Okay, to know. well, I'm in. I'm an open book, Lee. <laughs> uh, I have twelve thousand six hundred and thirteen unread emails in my inbox. I have two hundred and seventy-two unread text messages. But in my defence, some of those I've sort of read because I saw them when they flashed up. Well, exactly, and. I don't delete them because they're like my filing system. What I assume as well with all those, say, the 12,000 in your inbox. They're mainly press releases from the Department of Industry. 100%, exactly. Like I'm assuming that you see that that's the New York Times daily update or whatever and you just don't click on it. Yeah. So that's what most of that is, right? Yes. It's not (laughs) – just to be clear, it's not me (laughs) sending you a note to say I need some help with No, no. In fact, I'm really good at combing, you know, right. for – Yeah. Okay. So, see, that's – Sometimes a cluster will get through and it's like Department of Industry, Department of Industry, and then there's one like, you know, Mum, help, I've fallen over and I can't get up. And, like, maybe I missed that because it's industry, industry, industry. <laughs> I don't know. I did have this um, so email what exchange. What you're, with, what you're doing is you are still you are still prioritising and answering the things that are important. Oh, sure. You're just not – so the only difference between us is that when I see Department of Primary Industries, I don't read it, I just delete it. To our friends at the Department of Primary Industries, if you're listening, I don't know why we plucked you as an example. Know. I don't know. Primary I, industries are important. They are often the best uh, – press releases as well so like let's not i, don't I just know why we plucked pulled them out. randomly out of the air we did. um so uh yeah i don't know and um all i want to know is that you care i, I really care i care a lot <laughs> and i mean i do care because i feel really bad when i wake up at 3am and realize that i forgot to reply to whatever or you know 
I do, um, you know, I really do spend a lot of time feeling really bad. Right. About things that I've messed up. I wonder if Taffy felt bad about that soccer thing. Or did she just think, oh, I think, oh, like, well. the tone of the article was just like, yeah, it's wear what I like. it. It's what yeah. I like. I'm a, but also I think, well, I don't know. I just think creative history is littered with blokes who've strutted around and been absolutely unaccountable for their behaviour. I, I mean, you know, her behaviour is nowhere near as bad as, you know, Oh, know. she's not off presumably fathering millions of children with 18 different people and just abandoning no, them. Or just, or, you know, inviting people to breakfast and then making them, you know, watch her shower, like <laughs> Weinstein-esque. I mean, not she just was late to soccer practice. I mean, lighten up. <laughs> oh, God. We're really, we're, we're, um, we're in a bit of a, uh, a spiral here. <laughs> What sort of a spiral? Well, I mean, you know. Um, Do you know what, what spiral we're in? You don't realise it, but you're getting antsy because I haven't called it to an end. I really am. I'm you feeling are. a bit lightheaded, actually. Yeah. It's, it feels like weird. It feels I'm like just, I'm on a space warp. I'm living dangerously. And nobody is, you I've know. I've got no commitments. Look what happens to me when you take the commitments away. I know. Just living dangerously. Can we talk about one last quick thing in this ridiculously yeah, long can. episode? Yeah, we can. Caroline. You're welcome, by the way, people who are always whining about why do we stop at 30 minutes. You're welcome. Enjoy this extra. Although I apologise to people who have gone like, this will only be 30 minutes, so I'm just going to like. be time for my gym workout. Yeah, and now they're just like, I'm so tired. Now you're like into kilometre 11. This exchange is so incredibly gripping. <laughs> you cannot stop running. You're welcome. Caroline Calloway, the Instagram influencer article right. that everyone's been reading. Have yeah, you read that? Yes, of course I have. I hate myself. I read it. Yeah, yeah I read it too. What did you, what did you think? <sighs> Underwhelming. I just sort of thought, too. I don't know. Like it, I, I, I sort annoying. of I cracked into it thinking this will be a fantastic, great expose. And I sort of always in my brain when I read these things, I'm looking for something like that. Yeah, we talk about it all the time, that Jack Marks article about oh, yeah. Russell Crowe. That's what I want. Yeah. I want, I want Same. you know, I want fire Festival. I want yeah. things to be going <laughs> spectacularly wrong. And I want guy that's got to go to the head office to get that water released. Totally. I mean, that's <laughs> what I'm after. And the Carol, Caroline Calloway, I mean, like, basically we learn that she's kind of a shallow jerk. Wow. And Amazing. The, and that the friend was sort of peeved because I'm doing all the work but not getting all the credit. Like it was all – no, I didn't love anyone in it. It seemed like a very minor global example of megalomania. <laughs> I just thought <laughs> – I mean, you know, I read to the end and I just thought, oh, my gosh, you're both just terrible losers. <laughs> just That's exactly how something I felt, else. That is exactly how yeah. I felt about it. The only thing that I sort of have thought about since is one line which was about – does anyone need to write a memoir now in the days of Instagram? Because you're no. writing a memoir in right. real time. Actually, yes. That was an interesting – That was interesting. interesting yeah. I still think yes because I think the beauty of a memoir is that you're bringing hindsight, like which you're not getting in Instagram because mm. it's all in real time. So you're not getting insight and, and that sort of stuff that the passage of time allows. But Instagram, like if you're somebody like that character too, is hopelessly compromised as any sort of yeah, record. memoir. Yeah, because yeah. it's – um, the ultimate out of shape by all sorts of other market forces. I mean, quite bluntly. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, her version of you know the sort of like the triangulated version of another person's view of those that person's account of themselves is 
kind of does create some sort of interest. But I don't think it was really – it wasn't sharp enough. It wasn't um, surprising yeah. enough to really yeah, it was just be like worth a the hype, I thought. bitchy mean girls sort of – yeah, I'm yeah. with you. I did read the whole thing, though. I didn't, no, no, didn't abandon it halfway just through. Like, so. like, you should both just go and get a job. Well, here we are in complete agreement. I know. What a lovely place to end the episode. Consensus at last. <laughs>